0: Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recap Season 2, where we are recapping all episodes of the Golden Girls. Today, we are on the end of Season 1, Season 1, Episode 25, The Way We Met. This episode aired on May 10th, 1986. What other interesting historical events occurred on May the 10th? Well, in 1497, Italian navigator Amerigoves Pusci leaves for his first voyage to the New World. In 1503, Christopher Columbus discovers the Cayman Islands. In 1534, French navigator Jacques Cartier reaches Newfoundland. In 1652, John Johnson, a free black man, is granted 550 acres of land in Northampton, Virginia. In 1752, Benjamin Franklin's kite-flying experiment is conducted in 1872. Victoria Woodhull becomes the first female United States presidential nominee. She was the representative of the Equal Rights Party. Uh, In 1906, Russian Duma, or Russian Parliament, meets for the first time. In 1924, J. Edgar Hoover is appointed the first director of the FBI. In 1940, Winston Churchill takes over as British Prime Minister for Neville Chamberlain. Now, this one was so strange, I just had to include it here. In 1969, world famous band The Turtles play at the White House, and I assume lead singer Mark Volman falls off stage. 5 times. <laughs> okay. God. Okay. In 1993, French artist Paul Cézanne's still life painting sells for $28.6 million in New York City. In 1994, Nelson Mandela is sworn in as South Africa's first black president. In 2000, India's population reaches 1 billion. Baby girl as- Asta is chosen as the symbolic billionth Indian person. In 2002, the Anaheim Angels defeat the Chicago White Sox 19-0, joining the 1923 Indians, 1939 Yankees, and 1950 Red Sox as the only teams to defeat two opponents by 19 or more runs in a single game in the same season. In 2017, Apple becomes the first company to be worth more than $800 billion. And our most recent event, on May 10th of 2018, Mahathir Mohamad is sworn in as the seventh prime minister of Malaysia, becoming the world's oldest leader at the age of 92. Okay. So what happened in this thrilling Episode. This thrilling conclusion to season one.
1: Something like this. We start in a dark kitchen and Rose is sneaking through the kitchen. Dorothy turns on the lights and they both scream. Ah! Rose heard some strange noises that she thought sounded like some creaking stairs. And Dorothy says, they don't have stairs. And Rose says, how strange is that? Pretty strange. Um Dorothy is up because she thought she heard a prowler outside, but it was just the neighbor's cat trying to mate with their plastic flamingo. Blanche enters the kitchen with a golf club and wondering what a, what um what was it? cause she heard some screams what What's going on? Everything's fine, except for Blanche's nightgown. <laughs> boy, they apparently watched Psycho. Dorothy has avoided the movie for 25 years and says that Norman Bates is scarier than her mother-in-law. Blanche says the shower scene scares her and that is why she prefers not to shower alone. And Dorothy says, sure, Blanche, and Goldilocks and the Three Bears is why you prefer not to sleep alone. What is worse than being wide awake and scared and by yourself? Well, being wide awake and scared, and by yourself without a double fudge chocolate cheesecake in the freezer. Ah, Rose goes to get the cheesecake, and Blanche is getting the silverware. Blanche says she never did anything like this with her old roommates, and Dorothy didn't know she had previous roommates. Two very eccentric old ladies who used to bathe together and floss each other's teeth. Wow. She kicked them out, then advertised at the supermarket, and that was when she first met Rose. So we get a flashback to the supermarket. Blanche is posting her ad on the neighborhood notices board. Rose walks up and she is holding a cat. Blanche starts talking to her, thinking that Rose's husband or boyfriend just dumped her. Rose asks if she is on candid camera. This is so crazy. Rose was just threw out of her place by her landlord. He is over 80 years old and thinks he is the Archduke Ferdinand. Apparently, the new owners of the building don't allow cats, and Rose wasn't about to part with Mr. Peepers. Rose found the cat just last week. Blanche's last two roommates were two old sticks-in-the-mud from Minnesota. They talk a little, and Rose eats raw cookie dough, believe it or not. Uh, Blanche puts back her advertisement as she doesn't think it would work with them as they are two different kinds of people. A random kid comes up to Rose and wants to pet her cat. Uh, Blanche has left. The kid had a cat just like him, but his name was Harpo. Uh, that would be for Harpo Marx, I would believe. But he, he died. Rose gives the kid Mr. Peepers. Blanche was actually... Been watching this scene from a little distance away and Blanche decides to give Rose a chance with the room. Uh, We get to see a person that Blanche had interviewed for roommates. This one was named Madam Zelda. We learn the house is mortgaged by Miami Federal at 7% interest. As Madam Zelda is leaving, we see Dorothy and Sophia wanting to look at the house. It is just Dorothy looking at Sophia, or looking at the house as Sophia lives at the Shady Pines Retirement Home. They discuss Shady Pines a bit and we learned Sophia had her stroke already. They talk about that a little. They tour the house a bit. First the lanai where you can sunbathe with your top off and the neighbors can see it just fine. Blanche, of course, does not care about that. Then we get questions. First question that Blanche asked Dorothy is, what do you call an inhabitant of Guam? Ah, this wasn't for the room. Blanche just wanted to finish her crossword puzzle. Ah, boy, some more small talk. Next, it looks like Dorothy is moving in. Yeah, it looks like Dorothy is moving in. Dorothy and Rose meet, and Rose is quite the happy person, and Dorothy says that Rose must be Mrs. Rogers. Ah, uh, She isn't, but there is a Mrs. Rogers that works at the grief center and one that lives across the street. And of course, there is Dell Evans, the most famous Miss, Mrs. Rogers of them all. Dorothy and Rose both are supposed to get the room. That is the second door on the left down the bedroom hallway. Um, Rose gets the bedroom because of winning the coin toss. Rose will make it up to Dorothy. If there is ever a night that Dorothy can't sleep, Rose will come to her room and sing Kumbaya. Dorothy tells her to never do that and I'll never do it again myself. Rose breaks a vase. Rose invites both of the other girls to dinner at her favorite restaurant, Uh, It's Dairy Queen, as the strawberry blizzard special only lasts till five. So they exit to go get their meal. Now back in the kitchen, it is two o'clock in the morning. Rose was never up this late before she met the other girls except for the Jerry Lewis telethon. Blanche was never a night person until she blossomed into young. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, blossomed into young womanhood. I see. Yeah, Yeah, I I just couldn't picture that, sorry. I see. Story of Blanche's blossoming. (laughs) We learned that Blanche's. (laughs) Oh boy. Can I get through this? I'm not sure. Yes, Blanche's bosoms. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They have the power.
0: (laughs) They can conjure music, correct? They can create some wonderful sweet string music, apparently.
1: Yes, how they do that, I don't
0: know. Uh,
1: But it was something I wanted to see.
0: Might be Blader on her She has like She has cybernetic implants She has speakers in them Or something Oh maybe maybe.
1: That's how they uh, They have the power To make music Ah, Dorothy says uh, Didn't Bet Midler Win a special Grammy for that I don't really Think she did But flashback Once again To the day After they moved in They are shopping together Blanche needs Smoked oysters Yes they're Four dollars a can In case her Men can't Get it up uh, we get a cantaloupe's remark. Blanche thinks he means something else, and he might. Uh, but smelling the end of a cantaloupe can let you know if it is good or not. Uh, it's an old Sicilian method, of course. Other methods of telling if a cantaloupe is ripe or sown, Yes, with Rose doing the best way is just cut the end off and taste, and if it ain't good enough, put it back.
0: Okay. Uh, well, it is technically the best way. Uh, yeah. I don't think the supermarket would be too thrilled. No. But Blanche. Uh, Blanche hits
1: the magazine rack near the exit and gets a Globe, a Tattler, and a Midnight Star, an Inquirer, and maybe one serious news magazine. Yeah, people. At the checkout, we have a discussion about being honest. Rose keeps telling the cashier the correct price of items, usually higher than the cashier rang up, of course. And Dorothy says to save it for the price is right. Dorothy will shop on her own. Blanche will shop on her own as Rose is Mary Poppins. Uh, next scene, we see the girls enter the front door and each are carrying a couple bags of groceries. So we're still in the flashback. The small table uh, sitting next to the, is sitting next to the swinging door and shouldn't be. Also other items are, are in the kitchen that shouldn't be. Uh, the girls are not talking. Blanche is putting a carton of milk in the refrigerator and wants to know who put raisin bran in the fridge. We get a discussion of the best place to put raisin bran. We also learn that Rose talks back to her Rice Krispies. The girls sit at the table and we get this story. Oh, uh, we get a story from Rose about the Great Herring War. And here is the story. It was between the Lindstroms and the Johansons. Ah, it was the Great Herring War, says Dorothy. That Great Herring War, yes. The two families controlled the most fertile herring waters off the coast of Norway, so naturally, it seemed like it would be in their best interest to band together. Oh boy, was that a mistake. You see, they couldn't agree on what to do with the herring. Well, you know, Blanche says, uh, well, you know, that's understandable. I mean, the possibilities are overwhelming.
0: Am I gonna have to read this story?
1: <clears throat> nah. Okay. Okay, the Johansons wanted to pickle the herring, and the Lindstroms wanted to train them for the circus. Um, and Blanche says, weren't they kind of hard to see riding on the elephants? Uh, Rose replies, oh, not that kind of circus. It's a herring circus, sort of like SeaWorld. Only smaller, much, much smaller, but bigger than a flea circus. Um, tell me, Rose, um, did they ever shoot a herring out of a cannon? And Rose replies, only once, but they shot him into a tree. After that, no other herring would do it. Dorothy and Blanche laughed so much during this story. At the end, Blanche says that Rose is making that story up, and that was actually the whole story there. Rose claims she is not. Her grandfather told her that story. Of course, he also called her by her sister's name, and sometimes he'd wear his underwear on the outside of his pants. So maybe he wasn't such a reliable source. But the girls decide, hey, you know, we can live together. And we end up with Rose saying she has a chocolate cheesecake, and the girls are so excited. And finally, we are back to the current time. We see one piece of cheesecake left on the table. As the girls think, they are all settled down and will now go to bed. Oh, yes. They're all settled down, so what happens? Sophia comes through the swinging door, screaming and welding a huge knife. She begins laughing hysterically. It was really funny, but the other girls don't really think it was. The girls decide they will stay up, and the episode ends with them trying to decide what they could put on top of the cheesecake as Sophia takes that big knife back with her to her bedroom, I guess. And Mm. that
0: ends season one. Well, now, obviously, we have quite a few references here. Now, of course, they bring up the film Psycho, which we could spend... Hours on if we wanted, but so the quick version. So, uh, Cycle the Movie is a 1960, I believe, or yes. 61, 60, uh, film, of course, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, which is based on the 1959 Robert Block novel, the same may, same name, which is loosely based on uh, Ed Gein. Uh, the notable difference, of course, Ed Gein. Technically not a serial killer Since he was only convicted on two counts of murder So technically not a serial killer But you know That could be for a different podcast at a different time um, Now uh, Hitchcock uh, Came to some trouble Trying to get this movie made uh, you know, uh, Paramount uh, Films did not want to finance it They wanted something a lot more Normal uh, you know, <laughs> of from him, a lot more normal in Hitchcock's normal style, not this kind of a movie. Uh, so Hitchcock offered to film it uh, in black and white and using the TV crew from Alfred Hitchcock presents instead of the normal, you know, uh, movie studio stuff. Uh, Paramount still. No, they still didn't like it. Uh, so Hitchcock um, finally got it made by offering to personally finance the film and paramount to only cover the distribution costs. And also, instead of Hitchcock taking his normal $250,000 directing fee, he would take a 60% stake in royalties. Worked out well for him while he was alive. Yes. Um, yes. Now, uh, the screenplay is pretty similar to the novel with a few different differences in the book. Norman Bates is middle-aged, overweight, and rather obviously uh, psychopathic instead of the more creepy, subtle version uh, that we get in the film. Also, um, he's an alcoholic, uh, which is removed uh, for the movie. Also, Bates's interest in spiritualism, the occult, and pornography removed from the film version, the porn one for obvious reasons. Um... And also, uh, in the book, uh, Norman Bates opens the book instead of not showing up till about 20 minutes in in the film is when he first shows up. Um, Other than that, I mean, there are a lot of other ones too that we could go through, but not going to bother. Let me scroll farther down the Wikipedia page. Um, So... Uh, Of course, there was controversy uh, surrounding the film, Uh, although it is a prime example of uh, 1960s United States films after the the Hays Code was rather eroded after the 40s and 50s and late 30s. It was rather unprecedented at its time for its depictions of sexuality and violence, Uh, right from the opening scene in which we see the character Marion in a bra. Uh, another controversial issue, of course, is the cross-dressing element. Also, you know, starring likely homosexual Anthony Perkins uh, and Hitchcock, who of course had previously directed the heavily gay-themed film Rope, uh, were both relatively experienced in that subject. Uh, for a, in that subject matter, uh, the viewer, you know, rather relatively unaware of uh, the cross-dressing elements until the. End basically, yes. Um, there's also the most controversial part of it, though, of course, was Hitchcock's no late admission policy for the film. Uh, while unusual for the time, not the first time it had been done, uh, it had, of course, been done by Clouseau uh, for Diabolique in France. Uh, however, uh, after the first day in which theater owners were relatively opposed to it, after the first day after seeing how many people were lining up well in advance to see it, they were cool with it then. Uh, So, although, initially, uh, the film was not very well reviewed. uh, Bosley Crowther of the New York Times wrote, quote, There is not an abundance of subtlety or the lately familiar Hitchcock bent towards significant and colorful scenery in this obviously low-budget job Crother called the slow build-ups to sudden shocks reliably melodramatic, and contested Hitchcock's psychological points as less effective. Uh, British critic C. A. Lejeune was so offended by the film that she walked out before it ended, and also permanently resigned from her post as film critic for *The Observer* in protest of the film. Holy cow! Other negative reviews stated it was a blot on an honorable career, plainly a gimmick movie, and merely one of those television shows padded out to two hours. There were some positive reviews stating that Anthony Perkins' performance is the best of his career, Janet Leigh has never been better, played out beautifully, and the first American movie since Touch of Evil to stand in the same creative rank as the great films of Europe. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, the public, though, loved the film greatly, breaking box office records in Japan, the rest of Asia, France, Britain, South America, the United States, and Canada, and it was a moderate success in Australia for a brief period of time. Uh, the most profitable black-and-white sound film ever made, um, uh, let's see what else. Uh, in the UK, it shattered attendance records, but nearly all British critics hated the film, questioning Hitchcock's taste and judgment uh, for it. Uh, so um, uh, later on, uh, Psycho was also criticized for pretty much introducing the splatter film genre, thanks to its use of gore in this film. And then, you know, we had that played out even further. Uh, And then there's a lot and a lot of other stuff. It was eventually remade in 1998 uh, by Gus Van Zandt. And essentially, the same movie, just in color, basically. And also with Vince Vaughn in it. Uh, So, you know, if you're into that. uh, Which is actually a really, really strange movie that we should talk about more. Really strange. Uh, Okay, we'll move on to um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Uh, which was initially titled The Story of the Three Bears, uh, is a 19th century fairy tale of which three different versions exist. The original tells of a badly behaved old woman who enters the forest home of three bachelor bears while they are away. She sits in their chairs, eats some of their porridge, and sleeps in one of their beds. When the bears return and discover her, she wakes up, jumps out of the window, and is never seen again. The second version replaced the old woman with a little girl named Goldilocks. And the third, and by far most well-known, replaced the original Bear Trio with Papa, Mama, and Baby Bear. What was originally a frightening oral tale eventually became a cozy family story with only a hint of menace. The story has elicited various interpretations has been adapted into film, opera, and other media. Uh, Candid Camera was a a popular and long-running American hidden camera reality show. Uh, Versions of the show appeared on television from 1948 until 2014. Uh, Originally created and produced by Alan Funt, it often featured practical jokes and initially began on radio as the Candid Microphone. In June of 1947. So that's that. Uh, Archduke Ferdinand, another one we could spend hours on if we wanted. Um, So Archduke Franz Ferdinand, Archduke of Austria Este, uh, born Franz Ferdinand Karl Ludwig Josef Maria uh, on December 18th of 1863, was a member of the Imperial Habsburg dynasty. And from 1896 until his death, the heir presumptive to the Austro-Hungarian throne, his assassination in Sarajevo precipitated Austria-Hungary's declaration of war against Serbia, which in turn triggered a series of events that resulted in World War I. Uh, Guam is brought up uh, which is, Guam is an unincorporated yet organized territory of the United States in Micronesia in the western Pacific Ocean. It is the easternmost point and territory of the United States, along with the northern Mariana Islands. The capital city of Guam is Hagatna, and the most populous city is Dedeo. Uh, the inhabitants are called Guamanians and are American citizens by birth. Uh, so that's it. I, I don't really remember why it was brought up in this episode, but um, nonetheless, uh, that's Guam. Uh, Mr. Rogers, I don't think I really need to explain uh, who he is, but he was brought up. Guam was brought up for uh, Blanche to finish her crossword puzzle. Oh, okay. Uh, Dale Evans uh, was an American actress, singer, and songwriter, uh, who was in a lot of films in the 40s, pretty much. Um, so she, uh, that that's her. Uh, the Jerry Lewis Telethon uh, was an annual telethon held each night before and on Labor Day in the United States to raise money for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Uh The telethon was hosted by Jerry Lewis from its inception in 1966 until 2010. Uh, It was when did it end? It ended in 2014. uh, Was when the last one was aired? Though at that time it was a uh, two-hour special. Uh, It was last done as an actual telethon in 2010, yes. 2010 was the last actual telethon of it. Uh, Bette Midler is a singer uh, who won a Grammy, uh, I believe, not for music played by her breasts, I don't believe, let me check. Uh, she has one Grammy Award, uh, Best New Artist in 1974. That is her only Grammy Award, I do believe. Oh, uh, no, she won Best Female Pop Vocal and Record of the Year. Uh, nothing, nothing about breast music that I can tell. Um, so now we get into the tabloids that were brought up by Blanche at the checkout line. So Globe uh, is a tabloid first published in November, or in North America, in November of 1954 in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, as Midnight. It became the chief competitor to the National Enquirer in the 60s. In 78, it changed its name to the Midnight Globe and eventually changed its name to globe uh, it covers a wide range of topics including politics, celebrity news human interest and high profile crime stories in 2013 it spearheaded the fight to try to save television, soap operas all my children and one life to live uh, so <laughs> um, that is the globe uh, now the t- now there's Tattler, which I couldn't actually find like a Wikipedia page or anything about the tattler, but I did find Google image results of tattler covers. Mm-hmm. So here's some of the headlines, some selected headlines oh boy. from the tattler with no arms or legs. Human caterpillar is husband and father. I watched a mad cat eat my father. <laughs> LSD made me a prostitute. I was seduced by a flying saucer. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, here's a nice straightforward simple one. Man eats girl. I,
1: yeah, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> whoop Yep. Uh, let's see here. Ted Kennedy defies new threats against his life. Well, that's not a very interesting one. No. Uh, White girl slaves. Why Ringo isn't married. Oh, boy. We need to know that. Yeah. Gee. Your male travels 1,000 miles to get next door. Plays made for moles. Okay. Uh, Miracle healer operates with bare hands. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Half dog, half girl. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of other really stupid ones here. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, so that's the quick tattler. Uh, the National Enquirer is essentially the same thing. Uh was founded in 1926.
1: Uh,
0: it openly acknowledges that it will pay for tips, a practice that is pretty much not ever used in actual journalism or actual tabloids, really. Uh, so that is the Enquirer. Uh, Let's see, they bring up Midnight Star, which I cannot find evidence of an actual tabloid entitled that. The only thing I could find on Google is a funk band from the 80s called Midnight Star. That's all I could find. Okay. Uh, People Magazine is a weekly magazine of celebrity and human interest stories uh, with a readership of around 46.6 million adults has the largest audience of any American magazine. Uh, The Price is Right is a game show franchise uh, which uh, began in 1956, was revamped in 72, and was hosted by Bob Barker at the time, and since 07 has been hosted by Drew Carey. Uh, And it's simply a game show where people come on and they have to guess the prices of various uh, household items and whatnot. Yes. Mary Poppins, we've discussed before. Rice Krispies, or Rice Bubbles, if you're from Australia or New Zealand, uh, is a breakfast cereal marketed by Kellogg's in 1927 and first released to the public in 28. Rice Krispies are made of crisped rice. Uh, that is formed into rice shapes or berries cooked, dried, and toasted, uh, and that is pretty much it uh, and in nineteen sixty three the Rolling Stones recorded a jingle for the product uh, one fashion note, Blanche's nightgown in the present timeline scenes is absurd, yeah, it was pretty 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 good yeah, I have yeah. three side characters from this episode. Uh, The Kid at the Supermarket uh, is played by Eden Gross, uh, who is most known for his roles in films such as Child's Play 1, 2, and 3, and Best of the Best, which looks to be some sort of boxing movie maybe. Uh, He also provided voice work for Ren and Stimpy and the uh, Little Mermaid television show, and you may know him from, uh, let's see, the FMV video game Return to Zork. Oh, really? And he plays a character called Waif. Okay. Uh, he's in some film called And You Thought Your Parents Were Weird. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. Mm, okay. Uh, in the Child's Play movies, he plays the um, the friendly... Chucky Dolls. He voices those. Ah. Uh, Madame Zelda was played by Shirley Prestia uh, who was known for her film roles in films such as Species, Wag the Dog, What Women Want and was also in the television show NYPD Blue as a jury foreperson. Hmm. And the Cantaloupes Guy We've yes. previously discussed on this show. is played by Dom Arrera again. Ah. Oh. Oh. Uh, who's the guy from, who's the chauffeur in Big Lebowski and plays Ronnie on Seinfeld for like one episode or however many. I think it's one, probably. I don't know. I don't feel like scrolling through all these credits to Seinfeld. Yeah, one episode. Uh, so we talked about him before. I forget in what role, but nonetheless, um... One new sex partner established. uh, The man she was dating at the time of renting out the rooms for Blanche. So our tally stands at the end of season one. Blanche, 10. Dorothy, 4. Rose, 4. Sophia, 1. A few new continuity notes. I think Shady Pines is named the first time in this episode. Yes. Uh, Rose has the bedroom. That is the second door on the left. And my last continuity note... Blanche's breasts have the power to conjure music, which is something I'm saddened they did not bring back. Yes. Now, I have a question for you here. Yes. You will know this a lot more than I will for obvious reasons. So, in the 1980s, was it common for, A, supermarkets to have bulletin boards for random local announcements? Yes. B, supermarkets to allow cats inside of them? Um uh, no. And C, parents to be accepting of their children receiving cats from strangers in public. Uh, probably not. Okay. Now, back then, maybe.
1: <laughs> and in Miami, you know, with with that being like a retirement town or whatever, maybe they let the old people take cats and dogs in their grocery hmm. store, but honestly, no. <laughs> okay. But definitely, because it was before the internet, mm-hmm.
0: before Google,
1: before... The bulletin board
0: thing was... The okay. bulletin board
1: was a... That's where you went to get the...
0: Okay. Well, I mean, I figured it'd be like at the library or something, not the supermarket. But uh,
1: Not everyone goes to the library, but everyone goes to the supermarket.
0: Oh, okay. So... All right. Definitely.
1: I think some supermarkets still have that stuff.
0: Oh, Okay. Um a, a few more notes here that aren't questions. Um now, you know, personally I was just thinking about this conceptually here. So the smoked oysters bit in this episode. Yes. So I was thinking about this conceptually, you know, here. Now, I don't really care how horny these are going to make your boyfriend, okay? 4 bucks a can for one night unless oysters are good for longer than when you open the can for, which I maybe they are, I don't know. No, no idea. Um, but nonetheless, $4 for one night uh, is probably not going to be worth the sexual experience you're going to have with that man, uh, as there's probably going to be no foreplay, and it's going to be done really quick, I would imagine, uh, if these are actually effective for in the way Blanche states them states, to be. Yes, I couldn't tell you. So. Uh, I can't imagine... Uh, it would be worth four bucks for one, in for one use. I cannot imagine. I could be wrong. Maybe I don't know. We'll have to. I'll have to have that as a experiment at some point. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, last note. Um, this is just more of a, I guess, a meta note technically. But um, so during that herring war story, uh, both B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan are struggling <laughs> to get through it. Oh yes, I yeah. know. Yeah, it, it's a
1: riot. Yeah. It's the best story Rose has done all year. So it's one of the only
0: ones. So, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But that's all I got for this episode.
1: And they asked questions and made it
0: even worse.
1: Uh, For me, the kitchen observations, we got the big island again. That pizza thing that was on the last episode is on the table again this episode. So, but switching from the flashback. And the present time must have been too much for the staff of the show or the producers or whoever moved the tables around because they didn't move them around perfectly uh, Uh and stuff. Yeah, well, like the very first episode we saw, there's no table by the phone wall. There's no little table by the swinging door. Okay, They didn't reference that stuff. No, but they showed it on the episode here. They show it. Yeah, they that. didn't
0: reference... Okay, back so, in our first episode we filmed like two years ago, where was this stuff? Yeah. They they ain't going to reference that. I don't even know if they could reference that. I don't no, know. Well,
1: they should have been able to. But... But they just were
0: lazy on that.
1: Uh, anyway, my counts for this episode, well, there's one cheesecake
0: eaten. Well, for that, Coco should have been in, in uh, part of it then. Well... Technically, maybe.
1: Uh, And there was one Sicily Italian reference in this episode. Oh, there was also one game mentioned, as Blanche does, Crossword Puzzles. Is that
0: a game? Well, it's the only thing I could put it under. Okay. It's not a sport, so. uh, Well, there is a Crossword Puzzle Championship, actually.
1: For my total counts for the season one, I have three weddings or planned weddings. There were three physical abuses of Rose. There was one St. Olaf story, two cheesecakes eaten, two Sicily-Italian stories, 10 Sicily-Italian references, three times the girls were mad at each other and maybe moved out. Uh, sports, there were 11 sports references in season one while there were seven games, and two Stanley appearances. My rating for this episode, uh, it was a pretty funny episode, I have to admit. The ending scene with Sophia and that big knife. And then I was thinking, of that big knife, she's taking that back to her bedroom. She probably came from the bedroom with that. What does she do with that big knife in her bedroom? <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big knife. I don't but know. It was a pretty funny episode, I gave it 87 out of
0: 100. I don't know, maybe, because like I know one thing that confounded me. Was like the pepperoni they bought at the supermarket was like a foot long stick, of pepperoni. Yes. Like, who goes through that much pepperoni? I. I don't. How long is that good for? Probably for a while. I would guess maybe Sophia just has a big stick of pepperoni back in her that she just slices off. Well, I don't even think that's a few pieces right of now. pepperoni every night. Um. Maybe I don't know. And to end this
1: on season one, I've got Mm -hmm. some final season one notes here.
0: Oh, boy.
1: Season one of The Golden Girls won the Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series Hmm. for that year. Bea Arthur, Betty White, and Rue McClanahan, they were all nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, whereas Betty White won the Outstanding Lead Actress for her performance in A Bed of Roses which was episode 15 of the season, Estelle Getty received a nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a comedy series. The series won at the 43rd Golden Globe Awards for the best television series, musical, or comedy. It did. Yes, and there were many... Oh, the comedy
0: category, okay.
1: Yes, many, many other awards were were nominated and won for this first season. Uh, For me, my average rating for all the episodes was 7532 My highest rating was 88 for The Break-In, episode number eight. My lowest rating was 55 for In a Bed of Roses, Hmm. which was number 15 of the season. And that is all my seasonal notes for season one of The Golden Girls.
0: Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until the next episode, goodbye.